What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book, Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited because today we got an incredible guest, so inspiring, and his name is Dr. James Rouse. We are currently reading Dr. James Rouse, who is the co-author with his wife, Dr. Deborah Rouse, their book, Think, Eat, Move, Thrive. And I wanted to have him on because he is so inspiring and I know some of you are doing um, FebFast and also some of you have started some new habits after the new year and the holidays. So I think this episode will get you motivated if you aren't already. So if you haven't heard about Dr. James Ravs, he is a highly authentic, energized and purpose-driven leader. He is a naturopath, doctor, entrepreneur, athlete, husband, and father. Dr. James has personal, clinical, and professional understanding of what it takes to create and sustain a life we love. From Fortune 50 boardrooms to nationally broadcast media, Dr. James has served and inspired seasoned billionaires, world-class athletes, and budding entrepreneurs. James brings his love for human potential and his passion for serving to curate high-performing cultures from startups to multinational corporations. James is a teacher of what works that allows both environments to thrive. His enthusiasm for helping us all to realize our potential is contagious, and his commitment to showing us how to success in our whole life is unsurpassed. He is unbelievable, so why don't we just get right into it? Enjoy this episode. Hello, James, and welcome. I am so excited to have you. This is actually a dream coming true because when I wanted to start a podcast, I wrote a whole list of names and you were on my list. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have to tell you, Christina, I woke up nervous today because <laughs> you're one of my favorite humans and you're one of the people I love to just emulate and want to kind of do what you do in the world. So for me to get a chance to kind of co-create with you today and to uh, maybe it's even co-conspire because I feel like 
ever since we met, it's always been like a conspiracy. How much light and love can we circulate in the world? And how delusionally optimistic can we make ourselves be? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, this is just the beginning. I'm so excited. <laughs> so before we get on, we have so much to talk about. And I know we could make this like a whole day podcast. We're not going to do that. But I'm going to start about asking about a dream you may have had as a kid. Did you have something that you wanted to do or become as a child? I did. When I was a little boy, and probably not unlike many people in your beautiful community, Christina, I grew up in a home that didn't have a lot of light, did its best to have love, but there wasn't a lot of light. I spent a lot of time fantasizing about a life that seemed like it would never be mine, but for a distant second, I would just dream about it. I would fantasize about it. I would do um, a lot of work in my heart about what it would be like to belong to something, to belong to something that was bigger than what I felt like my life as a child was trying to fit in. Fitting in never really felt good. It felt like I was cheating on my heart. And I think for many of us today, I mean, we're sort of on this kind of weird coming out time with COVID. We're not fully out. So please, no one troll me. I understand that we're not there yet, but we're starting to get glimpses of what it might be like. And I think for a lot of us, we are probably doing a lot of questioning around how much time in our life up until COVID and maybe through COVID we spent going, oh my goodness, so much of my life energy was about trying to fit in. And now I'm really starting to ask myself, where do I belong? And as a child, that's really what I wanted to find. I wanted to find where I belonged. And I spent most of my time, Christina, fantasizing about, I lived in the middle of nowhere in Vermont and the United States and uh, the country. And I used to build things out in the woods, fantasy things, tree forts, baseball fields. And I was out there every day by myself, throwing the ball up in the air and hitting it and then chasing it. And I would do that for hours. And I think that was part of an escape, but it was also kind of a forecast about what it meant to find a place that you belonged. And I always felt like nature gave me a place to connect with God, gave me a place to connect with the universe. And I think now as we um, here in the United States are thinking about where do we belong when there's so much of us and them politically and silos of ideology, for people who are seeking more love and more communion and more humanity, I think belonging is going to be the superpower moving forward. Yeah, love that. I couldn't agree more. Can you actually share a little bit about your story? Your journey is, there's so much to share, but just for anyone who may not have read or come across any of your work yet, just give us a bit of a highlight of your journey so far. As I said, I grew up in a home that did its best to love but there wasn't a lot of light. We had um, deep alcoholism and addiction issues. And with alcohol and addiction issues in my family, uh, a lot of it showed up in rage. I think in that upbringing, I learned about reading people, reading the room, being highly empathetic. Really, my role as a middle child of my family, Christina was the peacemaker. I used to do everything I could to help my mom and my dad to get along which I failed at ultimately. And I think that um, the combination of that environment and being dyslexic and really struggling in school put me in a place where I had a lot of shame. I had shame around my family, had shame around my academic inabilities. 
shame of my struggles. And for a lot of young people, I think when you have shame that's deeply embedded inside of your psyche and in your heart, you tend to towards perfectionism as your is sort of your medicine. You try to be perfect at everything, or at least make the world know that you're perfect because you are so full of shame that you would never want anyone to know how much heaviness and sadness you carry inside of you. So with all of that said, Christina, I struggled in school. I was never diagnosed with dyslexia until, frankly, having barely got through high school, I became a truck driver, which is nothing to be ashamed about, but it was not what I wanted to be. I always wanted to be a physician. I wanted to practice medicine, but um, there was no college that would accept me. And in fact, my high school teachers told me, you'll be lucky to be a truck driver. I, I kind of bought into that narrative. And for a few years, I drove truck. I struggled financially. I struggled with my self-esteem. And I drank because my family were good drinkers. And then, by the grace of God, literally, the universe placed an angel in my life one night at a truck stop where... And I swear it was an angel, Christina, and I don't listen. I, I'm sure your audience is full of people who believe in all kinds of wonderful things. So three o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere, New York, and uh, basically stopped me as I was getting into my truck and said, I know who you are. I want you to be who you are. And if I ever see you again, being a truck driver and not who you really are, I will kick your ass. The next day, I showed up at a tiny little community college in Massachusetts, pleaded my case, <laughs> literally, and said, I don't have a transcript. I'm not academically inclined, but I love people. And uh, gosh, Christina, 12 years later, I graduated from medical school and practice family medicine for over two decades because of an angel showing up as a truck driver and threatening to kick my ass because he said, with that smile and those sparkly eyes, don't you dare waste yourself like that. How lucky are we to, to have you to share the light versus being a truck driver. That's unbelievable. Thanks for sharing that story. I actually didn't know all of that story. So that's beautiful. Thank you. This is so good timing because um, I wanted to share a story. I'm not sure if you know this, so I'm going to just share it. But when um, when you came here to Australia a few years ago, we were very lucky to have you coming to our personal book club, thanks to Rebecca Herman. And I was picking you up on my way to Rebecca's house. So, to, so I got to your hotel and my other girlfriend, Anna Karin, was in the car. And because I couldn't get a car park, I just pulled up in front of the hotel and I said to Anna Karin, can you please just go and get James? Kind of forgot that she never met you and only heard about you. And she said, oh, but I don't know what he looks like. I said, you don't need to. And she came back and she said, you're right. I saw him straight away. So <laughs> because you have these radiance, you have these enthusiasm and happiness that I've never seen anyone have and knowing your story behind how you kind of grew up and how you you were a bit lost what is it that makes you so enthusiastic and genuinely happy I think for me I've really forgotten about what it meant to play safe in the world I started forgetting about what it meant to look for places to hide 
which was my upbringing, which was my childhood. And I think when I came into my early 20s, Christina, I started to seek places where I feared to live, where at one time I had fear for living and now I wanted to seek them. I, I seeked intimacy with myself. I seeked intimacy with God. I seeked intimacy with the universe. I really basically began in my early 20s, Christina. I, I, I stopped drinking completely and I wrote myself a note and I was driving an old crappy car and I had this little sticky note on my dashboard of my car. It said, Jimmy, destroy your former small reputation. Be notorious. <laughs> I can tell you that has given me permission to access parts of the universe that has given me the opportunity to really, really experience those outer edges of life where awe and humility and grace and deep acceptance, the kind of acceptance where you're not talking about unconditional love for yourself. You're saying, no way, I'm going to be love in all conditions with myself. And that distinction about choosing to be love in all conditions with myself has been the greatest elixir for joy. It's a carbonated kind of joy when we give ourselves permission to be love in all, in all of our conditions. So for anyone who, um, who are struggling right now, obviously the last couple of years with COVID has been a rough time for so many on different levels, me included. So well, how do we get through that regardless of what's going on in terms of being genuinely happy regardless of our circumstance. Yeah, and I think the word that comes to mind more is irrevocable joy. Happiness, sometimes I think it's a bad rap, where irrevocable joy means that underneath everything, there's a wellspring of joy that you have for frankly being alive. What I've learned, and there's two things I want to share with you, two great practices. So when I decided to park my truck and start opening my heart to other experiences, I moved to India and I spent some time in India, Nepal and Tibet learning how to meditate and uh, frankly heal. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, taught me this wonderful practice. It's um, basically it's name it to tame it. And I think so often with people who are in personal growth, you know, the, the pursuit of happiness and joy, when something shitty comes up and something dark comes up, you know, we well, I know I'm not going to go there. I'm going to focus on the good and I'm going to do the joy practice. Well, it doesn't work that way. Neurochemically, it doesn't work that way. And our emotions, it doesn't work that way. But one thing we can do is do what they call name to tame. So when I feel anxiety or you're feeling anxiety, Christina, we name it. This is anxiety. Where's it come from? Oh, it's coming from this place. That act, three, four, five seconds of naming that the emotion that I'm experiencing is anxiety, it's anger, it's, uh, it's fear, whatever it might be literally helps to keep us from going on an archaeological dig, to go on a rumination station, to start thinking about, oh my gosh, these are all the reasons why. Because our brain doesn't necessarily have to have a ton of reasons, it only needs one reason. And if we name it and call ourselves to the anxiety, we typically don't feel the Velcro to it. We don't feel like we have to figure it all out. And that in itself is an act of love. And that is in itself an act of healing. So what I'm suggesting to people is that what we can do when stuff is coming up for us, we name it 
And that takes the tentacles off from it. That takes the barbs off it. That takes the stinginess off it. And then it allows us to examine it as a friend because it's ours. This is my anxiety. This is my fear. This is my whatever it might be. It's only when we look away from it that we distance ourselves from it, which is literally distancing ourselves from our emotional body, our heart, and the needing to heal. And when we name it, we begin the healing process and saying, I'm worthy of understanding my anxiety. I'm worthy of understanding why my fear is coming up for me. And that in itself is a huge healing act, Christina. I love that. And I think that would be super useful for so many people. I don't like hanging on to things. Like I like to work through it and then move on because otherwise I just feel like there's a million <laughs> reasons to stay where we are. And I think that's the hardest with with knowing how to do that because you want to make sure that you dealt with it all so it doesn't come back later on and bite you. But you also don't want to dwell on things forever because you can learn from the past and I'm all for that, but I don't want to hold on to the past. The one of the nice practices that can complement this about not going on the archaeological dig to figure out all the things that are wrong or to all the reasons why I don't feel good about myself. Every single morning, there's a window. You know, when you wake up in the morning, there's a three, four, five minute experience that happens. You're just starting to come into consciousness. You're just starting to realize, you know, sleep is over. It's the beginning of the day. And what you would want to do if you were a, a revolutionary in your life, you would just cup your two hands over your heart, Christina, and you'd close your eyes. And as you're holding your heart, you would have a mantra. And as you know, a Sanskrit word mantra means a sacred utterance. So whatever your sacred utterance, gratitude, love, acceptance, empathy, compassion, whatever it might be. And as you're doing this sacred utterance to yourself under your breath, you're visualizing yourself or someone you love while you're doing that. And just for a couple moments, it can be literally 30, 45 seconds. And while you're doing that, Christina, what you're doing is you're literally recruiting a circulatory benefit of oxytocin. And everyone knows oxytocin is the hug hormone. It's when we, 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 we're moved emotionally, we get a hug, we're petting our dog, we see our children coming out of school in the morning, we're getting them, you know, letting them off. The day. Anything that moves us emotionally is oxytocin. Well, here's the beauty of oxytocin. It's, it's wonderful for our heart. It helps with circulation. It has a tremendous benefit for fighting inflammation. A couple of things it does, it actually is one of the greatest ways that we actually help ourselves to create belonging with ourselves, and literally is the number one trust hormone that our bodies, minds, our beings can produce. So if you start the morning with three or four moments of just connecting with your heart, you are literally changing your mental game. At the same time, you're changing your physiological opportunity and you're lowering inflammation, you're building trust, you're building love, you're building acceptance. And the beauty is, Christina, that few minutes of your sacred utterance, recruiting your oxytocin, that can literally carry you four, six, nine, even upward to 10 to 12 hours where your primary chemical is trust, is belief, is acceptance, is compassion, because that's what oxytocin knows. That's all it knows. 
I actually do something very similar, but I, I, I do it during five breath in the morning and think about all the things I'm grateful for. And I'm literally high on that <laughs> as I start. <laughs> and then I, um, I go for a walk. I meditate and then I go for a walk in nature every morning. People sometimes ask how I can get up. And I'm like, when you get out and just look around and, you know, I often listen to something inspiring, but sometimes the silence and you walk around in nature when the sun rises, it's just, it's so amazing. Gandhi said there's more to life than increasing its speed. And I think that as a culture, we are all just wired and tired, running from one thing to the next. But if you can start your morning, start your day with a cadence of gratitude, a cadence of reflection, a slow walk. I'm a huge fan of slow walking versus brisk walking. I think a slow walk takes a ton of courage. But when you walk slow, you literally feel physiologically and spiritually and emotionally like, good, I just integrated. Oh, this is how integration feels. This is how I feel when I'm doing my work with my mind, my body, my soul, all getting a chance to have a voice. Another thing that I love about what you have taught me is when you walk through a doorway, you ask yourself, what would love do? Can you explain what that is all about <laughs> well, I'll explain it as a failed father moment. And uh, how many of you have ever dashed into your child's room and your child was in that room and maybe you just were on a bit of a jag where I'll call it your militant parent voice came in that room and saw, you know, clothes that weren't put away, a bed that wasn't made a child that wasn't quite where you thought they were in terms of the timing of the day. And, and you, and you basically missed them and you focused on dirty clothes. You focused on an unmade bed. You focused on being late, but you never saw your daughter. You never saw your son. And there you were leaving the room, heading to work or heading to whatever. And the whole day you felt like the worst parent in the world because you missed the most important person in your life in that moment, which was your child. And yes, I've had those experiences. And I said to myself, I never want to do that again. I never know what's going to happen with my kids. I never know what's going to happen with me. What if this was the time that you weren't going to have a chance to say the things that you wish you could have said? So here's what I did, Christina. I spent a day walking through my normal life from my bedroom, to my bathroom, to my kitchen, to my car, to my office, to whatever. Each of these doorways a threshold. Each of these doorways a metaphor. Each of these doorways an opportunity to call myself to my higher nature. So would I use those doorways and I never miss a doorway? Every doorway I pass through, I say, what would love do now? And the goal, of course, is to answer that in action when you get into that next room. Whether you're walking into a grocery store, whether you're walking in to see your lover, your partner, whether you're walking in to a, an office with strangers, if you ask yourself, what would love do? And you literally are the action of that experience. Oh my goodness. You can't even believe the kind of amazing energetic shifts that you can create in your life inside. But what you can do as a person who changes lives lives of people you don't know, if you've ever caught yourself missing the people you love the most, when you answer this question in real time, 
when you come home from work, when you're getting ready to retire and you're crawling into bed with your lover, your partner, and you are literally saying, this is what love does. All of a sudden there's eye contact. All of a sudden there's a half smile. All of a sudden there's presence. All of a sudden your life is working. And every single room that you walk in, your life is working better. So many people will absolutely get so much out of just that one. So thank you so much for sharing it. I just love it. You know, it's interesting, right, Christina? We are in a time right now where so much self-reflection is asking of us, what did we learn these last couple of years? And maybe this one practice, that one practice, if that's the only thing that we come out with is ask ourselves, okay, what does love do now? And I'm going to give myself the presence of mind to participate in that answer. Oh my goodness, so much healing will happen. As you know, we're reading your book and your wife's book, Dr. Deborah Raz's book, Think, Eat, Move, Thrive, which I love in my personal growth slash book club. In your book, you talk about becoming a change agent in terms of changing your life. Can you just give us some tips how we change that? Because most of us have a few things we want to change. If you, I think that's part of life. You always want to become the better version of yourself. But it's, of course, easier said than done. So how can we do that? We hear from patients all the time. We hear from folks we come in contact with. How do I change? How do I actually make good on my good intentions? How do I get my integrity? <laughs> because anytime that you have a vision for your life, and you set the intention to go after it. And if you don't, it's challenging our character, it's challenging our integrity. And anytime that we miss out on opportunities to grow, we lose confidence. And confidence, etymologically, the Latin for confidere, simply means a deep, boundless faith in one's truth. I mean, think about that. Confidence is a deep, boundless faith in one's truth. So how do we actually have confidence? We augment this abiding faith in our truth. So here's three things you can do. And this is science, so it's beautiful, but they're very spiritual. So I love when science and spirit do a dance. So three things that literally have been shown to help us with change, help us with will, help us with closing the gap on good intentions, help us to do that nice little incremental shift from where we are and where we'd love to be. First thing, Christina, is something beautifully easy if you're willing to actually participate. Four to six minutes of meditation first thing in the morning. Studies show that when we do a little bit of mindfulness practice in the morning, we start to build something called neurogenesis, which is basically brand new brain cells. But if you're thinking about the person you'd love to be and you're being grateful for the person you are, you're literally are doing something called divergent thinking, which you're kind of leaving yourself, your present self, the self that is doing whatever, and you actually start to create a pathway in your brain to where you would love to be. That's what neurogenesis is all about. It's literally creating new tracks in your mind that you can start to follow. And when you envision for yourself who you would love to be more of, I want more energy, I want this kind of a relationship, I want this kind of uh, way that I make all this abundance in my life, you just start rehearsing this three to four minutes, five minutes in the morning through mindfulness, you are building brain chemistry that actually helps to augment this experience. The second thing you can do is from right directly after you do that or before, it doesn't matter, either way you wanna do it, 
is take yourself into nature because nature sort of cements in the, the neurogenesis. And now people are going to go, well, that doesn't sound like goal setting. That doesn't sound like you're actually, you know, writing things down and setting a schedule for when you're going to make these changes. That's not really what tends to work as well. What happens in nature, if you actually are taking a walk where you can see trees, you can see uh, flowers, you can see a garden, what studies show is that it helps to augment the creative systems within our mind. And when we're doing this every single morning after meditation, you literally are taking what meditation started to grow within your mind and within your system. And now you're giving it an application. When we are in nature, even for as little as six, eight, nine minutes. So now we're talking an investment of maybe 12 to 14 minutes total. First thing in the morning, you have built new brain cells. You've created divergent thinking and you've given yourself an opportunity to build a couple of key chemicals, one being dopamine, which is motivation and confidence. And the other one is serotonin, which is our joy chemical. It's also our connection to contentment and helping us to stay centered when things are going on around us. So those two practices, even though you wouldn't see them as change agents, they literally are biochemically, neurochemically, and physiologically and emotionally setting the tone for change. And the third thing, which is probably the most fun of all, is do not let your blood sugar drop. So you want to become someone who is really incrementally putting food in our bodies throughout the day. Now, I know a lot of people are into intermittent fasting, and you can still do it this way too. But what you want to make sure is that you continually have fuel going into your brain. What studies show is that one of the greatest reasons why we don't change or we don't stick to rituals that we're trying to put forth is simply the fact that our brain doesn't have fuel. So what I love, I start my day with fat. I, I start my day with coconut. I start my day with MCT oil. I add it to a really good cup of coffee. And I know that that's going to build ketones. And ketones, people talk about ketogenics and ketosis. When you build ketones naturally with healthy fats, you are literally fortifying brain energy. So you're taking all that goodness from your meditation, your walk in nature, and now you're giving it the fuel to manifest the change, to manifest the willpower, which I don't like the word willpower. I particularly run with willingness. It's simply the willingness at a neurochemical level to say yes to your life and yes to incremental growth and yes to transformation. But you're doing it at a neurochemical, physiological level. So good. Thank you for sharing those three things. Self-doubt is what holds most people back when it comes to creating their dream life. Can you give us some tips on how to get rid of self-doubt? I feel like self-doubt is part of when you want to create something new and you want to change or you want to go after a dream or a goal that is something you've never done before. Self-doubt is, I feel like it's just part of it. But I just, I just see so many people actually getting stuck there. And I don't want that because I, I often, when I look at people's dreams and goals, I, I see it's completely possible. It's just because they have not done it yet that they feel that way. So can you give us some tips on how to overcome that? Absolutely. I mean, Christina, thank you for bringing that up too. I mean, I'm, I think with you just sharing that is healing for people because self-doubt is epidemic, especially with social media. We see all these experiences, most of, most of which are highly curated, as we know, we immediately start reflecting and we go into comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's also the seeds for self-doubt. 
comparing ourselves to where we once were, to where we think we'd want to be and going, oh my goodness, how dare I even imagine that that could be my life? Doubt is the way that we keep ourselves safe and small. It's also how we protect ourselves. One of the things that I'm very, very keen on and really, really highly ritualize in my life is something called self-efficacy. Well, what basically it means is being present for your life and choosing something in your life that is not necessarily super easy, but not really difficult. So for me in the morning, I have a self-efficacy practice where I turn on the bathroom light and I literally make sure for a good, a good 30, 45, even a minute, I literally am not brushing my teeth. I'm not washing up. I literally have my face in the mirror and as lovingly as I can, I look at myself and this is hard. It's hard because the first thing I want to do is say, oh my goodness, you look older than you did yesterday. Or, oh my goodness, look at your, look at your skin, look at your hair, look at your whatever. We tend to go into critiquing mode first thing in the morning because cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is usually highest first thing in the morning. And it's one of the greatest craters of self-doubt. It's our stress hormone that makes us feel like we're not enough. So if you can interrupt first thing in the morning with any sort of practice, that is you kind of elevating yourself to do something that's a little uncomfortable. But here's the key, Christina. Self-efficacy only happens when we're the witness. The biggest challenge we have right now and why self-doubt is so epidemic is that we're only present about 48 maybe 49% of our life. The other half of our life, we're in future fear or past regret. And when that's happening, we create self-doubt. Why? Because we're not present for all the good that we do. And when we're missing out on our life in real time, our mind creates stories of unworthiness, stories of not enoughness, narratives that are completely untrue, But because we weren't even there for our life for half of it today, tomorrow, it is manufactured as a coping mechanism. So if I could suggest anything that we can do, self-efficacy is a life-changing practice. And you literally practice it all day long. What I tend to do is when I'm going to make a phone call to someone I love, I don't make a phone call. I FaceTime everybody. Why? Because it makes me present. And it makes me self-efficacious. We don't call our moms. We FaceTime our moms. We don't call our children. We FaceTime our children. Why? Because it gets us to be present. And when we're with our children, we're with our partner, with our lover, our spouse, don't you dare have your phone anywhere close to your body. Hide it in your purse. Hide it in your backpack. Put it behind the cushion and really, really be with that person. That's self-efficacy. And what that does, it literally starts to change the behavior of self-doubt because that's a learned behavior. And the more that our life moves fast, the less that we're present, the more self-doubt we have. So when we slow down, when we FaceTime, when we look at our children in their eyes, when we take the hand of our spouse, our partner, our lover, and we simply say something to them like, I see you and I really hear this. I want you to know I really hear what you're saying. Those seven seconds will dissolve self-doubt. It's beautiful. And it's so beautiful because it's spiritual. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is done in moments? You bet it's done in moments. But isn't that how life happens? Everything that we've ever been blown away by, 
Everything that's made us cry, laugh, brought us to our knees has happened in moments. So why wouldn't this experience of dissolving self-doubt be the same? That's such a good way of looking at it. Thank you for sharing that. Isn't that wonderful, Christina? There are so many opportunities all life long to move through my self-doubt. And all I need to do is start being really present with myself and witnessing myself being really beautiful, witnessing myself being wonderful and smart and sexy and amazing at my life. Let's talk about food and eating. So in your book, you talk about thinking. So I think we've got lots of that. I would love for you to just share something around food and perhaps drinks. I feel like it's become so complicated and so frustrating to see all these (laughs) packaged things and what we are putting into our body. So can you just give us some tips how to eat to make the most of our lives in a way of thriving? When I'm preparing food or I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat, I really think about energy. And I think everyone here, if you find yourself exhausted or sleepy after eating, there's a pretty good sign that that may not be the best food for you. And you really just want to pay attention to those rhythms. Like um, we should feel energized after lunch, not sleepy. We should feel at, at calm after dinner. Not like we could literally put our face down dinner table. We should feel that what's happening to us physiologically and neurochemically can literally be curated by the food we put in our bodies, which it can. I'm a plant-based person, and I'm not saying everyone has to be plant-based, but I think plants have the greatest opportunity for energy. There's no question. And what we know is that mitochondria, and we have trillions and trillions, quadrillions of these little power pack energy makers in every one of our cells. And Christina, their job is literally to manufacture nutrients and turn it into energy. So if you can think, and I have a quadrillion of these little factories of energy, and I was going to feed all of them. Can you imagine the kind of energy you would have? And the beautiful thing is plants are the number one thing that they love. Particularly, they love things like avocados. They love things like kale. They love things like broccoli. Oh my gosh, they love sweet potatoes and yams. If you can make sure that you don't necessarily happen to be vegan or vegetarian or plant-based, but you're decorating your meat or your fish or whatever with plants, And the greater the color, the greater the mitochondria impact. So I really try to get as many colors as possible. I know that's kind of like, oh, the rainbow diet, but it's more than the rainbow diet. The deeper the color, the deeper the antioxidants. The deeper the antioxidants, the deeper the energy. The deeper the energy, the deeper our life. Special shout out for avocados. And I know you and I are huge fans. Avocados literally have one amazing quality, Avocados, being a fat source, they also generate a particular antioxidant called glutathione. And when they've done studies on people who, well into their 90s, even reaching their 100th birthday, who are very vital, amazing people at 100 years old, they do blood work. And Christina, what they find out, the ones who have the highest levels of glutathione are also the ones who have the highest vitality the lowest levels of Alzheimer's incidents, the lowest levels of heart disease incidents, and the highest levels of emotional, that zeal when you just look in someone's eyes and they could be 98 years old, but in their eyes, you see that light and you're going, oh my gosh, look how beautiful that person is. It's glutathione. And so avocados and broccoli and plants help glutathione to happen. The Okinawans have a very beautiful saying, it's hara haichibu. 
Hara Haichi Bu means eat until you're 80% full and no more. And if people would take that into their life, what we know is when we overeat, we put too many calories in, we create inflammation. And inflammation drives aging, it drives disease, it drives fatigue, it drives bad moods. Eating when you're 80% full and stopping has been shown by science to be one of the greatest reasons why Okinawans boast the greatest number of centenarians in the world, and also the lowest levels of Alzheimer's and most all cancers. It's because they don't have a lot of inflammation. And Hara Haichibu is going to work for everyone, whether you love steak, you love fish, you love broccoli. 80% full is a beautiful way to sort of align with science in a very practical way. I love that. It's very rare that I overeat in terms of feeling you know, way too full. But when I do, it's just not pleasant. And um, doing that uh, on a daily basis is obviously not great. It doesn't feel, make you feel good either. Thank you for reminding us of that. And I love going out for dinner with you because there's always avocado and broccoli <laughs> and kale on the table, regardless of where we are. <laughs> I love that. And then we proudly walk around, Christi- so everyone listening, Christina, and then with Rebecca and everybody, we'll walk around, we have kale sort of in our incisors and our bicuspids. And it's like a, it's a sign of like achievement. We don't immediately floss. We let that green really sort of marinate in our teeth and smile proudly. Why? Because it's giving people permission to rock. <laughs> it's like, come on, everybody. Let's, uh, what did you have for dinner? I had something that built my glutathione and look at me now. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. So good. I I got so inspired when I saw you first at the Titan Summit that Robin Sharma was holding. After that, I always bring avocados on my plane trips. And um, just having avocado, it just makes you full and it's yummy. And um, yeah. Oh, and for your skin. Oh, and Christina, I mean, you have like some of the most radiant skin I've ever seen. I mean, gorgeous. You just... I don't think you've seen me lately, but thank you. <laughs> you, you too. And glutathione from the avocados is like an instant facelift. It actually is a stimulator for oxytocin. And oxytocin, again, the love hormone, is actually one of the greater ways that we actually fight aging of our skin, but in particular, our face. So just as a wonderful side effect, plants, augmenting oxytocin is augmenting your skin and helping to fight aging and premature aging of our skin. So just a nice little sexy side effect. Perfect. Love it. Love it. We're running out a little bit of our time, but I just want to ask one more question before the last couple of short questions. One is move. So obviously that is as important as think and eat. Just give us a little bit of a tips how we can start moving daily in an easy, good way based on the last, you know, the latest research. Beautiful. Well, here's the tip. Rather than me spending time talking about what kind of exercise and how long you should do it, let's talk about what actually motivates us to exercise according to science. When we exercise because we want to lose weight, we lose all of our motivation. Science proves it. When we exercise to lower cholesterol, we lose our motivation. Science also proves that. So most of us, when we're trying to get motivated, we're thinking, oh, I don't want to lose some weight. I want to be hot. I want to be more ripped. I want to you know, get my heart healthier. And yes, exercise will make you more hot. Exercise will help you with your cholesterol and your lipids. It'll certainly help you with metabolism, but it doesn't actually, any of those things, when you connect it 
to motivation, it actually literally steals your motivation. Here's what the University of Michigan, with exhaustive studies, have found out here in the States. The number one reason and the number one motivator for exercise is actually how good we feel when we're done. Taking a moment and going, oh my gosh, I just love how I feel after a walk. Oh my goodness, after a bike ride, after a swim, after whatever it is, all you need to do is think about how good you feel for following through. Not about like a checkoff on whether or not I was a good person or a bad person, just the joy that you moved. And that is what research tells us is the number one catalyst movement maker that we have. So if we're thinking that weight loss is our goal here for this year, I'm going to move my body so I can get more you know, metabolically awake, please don't begin with that. Begin with how the joy and the peace of mind you feel for having followed through. And we all know that when you move your body, all motion creates positive emotion. So whether it's a walk, a run, a bike ride, whatever it might be, you are literally opening your pharmacy of joy. The serotonin, the dopamine, the acetylcholine, all these beautiful chemicals come alive when we move our bodies. So we can't help but feel good. I could not agree more. And I always say to everyone, if you're not feeling great, just go for a walk because I have never come back from a walk not feeling a little bit better. I don't love running, but I love the feeling of running after. <laughs> and that is what get me through. I, lo- I could walk forever. I can walk nonstop for days. But running for me is a men- definitely a mental challenge, but I always focus on how good I'm going to feel when I'm done. That is the thing. So let us stop penalizing ourselves with, I'm doing this because I want to lose something or lower something. What if I'm moving my body to enlighten something? So good. All right, let's move on. I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions. Tell us quickly, if you can, (laughs) about your morning routine. Okay, so my morning routine has been literally this now for almost 30 years. And spirit willing, Christina, 30 years from now, and maybe even 50, I pray, I will be doing this exact same morning routine because it doesn't miss. It always makes me feel wonderful. And I do it every single morning. I get up at 4 a.m. religiously. I don't need an alarm clock. It's just wired into my being. And I open my eyes, put my hands in my heart. I do my mantra and I get that oxytocin circulating. And that's how I begin my day. So I go from my bedroom to my bathroom where I do my soft eyes practice, my Buddhist way of looking at myself with a compassionate soft eyes, do that for a full minute, brush my teeth, of course. So from there, I move into the part of my house where I have my home gym. And so I do a combination of Peloton. And I live in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, so there's no gym close by. But I ride the Peloton for 20 minutes and only 20 minutes because I don't believe in longer rides. I like interval training. So it's a Tabata ride for 20 full minutes. From there, I go directly into lifting weights, but I do primarily body weight. So I'm doing a combination of push-ups and yoga poses that really reinforce muscle and resistance. So it's a 20-minute ride, 20 to 25 minutes of resistance training, and then I go into 20 minutes of yoga. So it's roughly a full hour of movement religiously. Here in the wintertime, we have uh, lots of snow. So I take off all my clothes. I live in the middle of nowhere, so I'm not, I'm not a voyeur and I'm not out there doing something where the neighbors are going to be offended. 
I literally roll in the snow with no clothes on and it's five in the morning. Or if there's, it's summertime, I just take an ice cold bath and I'm in there for several minutes. And then I immediately go to an acupressure mat that has all these kind of, you know, kind of spikes. And it's a mat that I lay on naked. I lay on that and I meditate for 30 full minutes on the spiked mat and get the acupressure going for all my circadian and uh, experiences I want to have with the meridians in my body. It's an hour and a half religiously every single day. And from there I go into breakfast. Yeah, the naked snow bath and the acupressure mat naked, that's a little advanced, but <laughs> Christina, you're my friend. I'm just telling you what I do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I actually have the acupuncture spike, but I, I don't do it naked after being rolling in the snow. That's one thing that is still a real challenge because I love being warm and hot. All right, let's move on really quickly to your favorite book. I know that's uh, almost as hard as it is to to name your favorite child, impossible. But just share one book that is your favorite or has had a real impact on your life. Oh gosh, I can't do one. I'm going to do I'm going to do three. The Bhagavad Gita, Man's Search for Meaning, and The Autobiography of a Yogi. Those are my three faves. And I've read them probably collectively a hundred times <laughs> and there's always a pearl and I, I missed it. You know, the 37th time caught it on the 38th. I'm a big believer in rereading repetition. And as we evolve as well, you know, the meaning becomes very different. So I love that. Three great books. I'll link to them in the show notes for anyone who wants to read those. Last but not least, knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self, say that when, you know, when you're mid or late teens? I believe the thing that I would want to tell Jimmy when he was 18 is decorate your life with beautiful people and you will become beautiful too. Because when I was 18, I didn't feel beautiful. And I think a lot of young people don't feel beautiful. And um, when you make beautiful choices in the form of humans and you place them around your life, oh my goodness, it just, it helps you to see yourself in a way that sometimes as a young person you don't or you can't. So I think as someone who's gone through really, really dark teen experiences, I would have loved if someone had told me that. Oh my goodness, I would have loved that. It would, it would have really helped me to probably, oh my gosh, a lot, of, a lot of earlier healing would have happened, Christina. And I have a feeling I'm not alone. Thank you for sharing that. And what a beautiful way of ending this unbelievable <laughs> So inspiring session together. And I know that you are starting your own business, but you know, rather than talk about that today, I'm going to, when you are launching, I'd love to have you back and talk about all that because you are doing so many amazing things. And um, if anyone is listening and you have the opportunity to see Dr. James Raz speak on stage, that's one of the reasons that I kept going back and back and back to Robin Chalmers Summit because you were there. And when I asked people why they kept coming back the number one answer was always dr james rouse so 
thank you for sharing your incredible wisdom and enthusiasm, but also for all the things that you're doing to make the world a better place. And I'm so excited about your new business. So once you are ready to talk about that, I would love to have you back so we can spread that um, to our community as well. Oh, it would be an absolute honor. And as a gentleman getting close to his sixth decade, I I turn 59 next month, Christina. So here's what I'm telling my 59-year-old self, which is coming up here shortly. I must have done something really good in my life that someone as beautiful as you, Christina, are in my life. So I'm just going to make sure that is put out there to the universe to make sure you know what a blessing it is to know you, to have this time with you, to let me be a part of your community today. And thank you for being heroic and how you love out loud. That's, it's We hear you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I just love James. I hope you are as inspired as I am right now. I have seen James speak many, many times on stage, and I have had some super inspiring conversations over the years. And I always, always walk away so inspired and believing I can do anything. And I really hope that you feel the same. To get even more inspired, read his and Dr. Deborah Ra's book, Think, Eat, Move, Thrive. We are currently reading this in my personal growth slash book club, and we just love it. And I am sure you will too. If you want to join us for the next month book, just go to dreamlifestartshere.com to sign up. It's so incredibly inspiring to be around like-minded people every week. And we meet every Monday virtually and talk about topics just like this. If you want to join, I would love to see you there.